HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month with an episode about memory. I've always read and sort of approached cookbooks for more than the recipes. To me, they are full of narrative content and narrative value. So Malama Aina basically means to take care of the land. For us as Hawaiians, it's taking care of our older sibling. But I do remember like definitely feeling like self-conscious about it, like being the only one who kind of wasn't eating a sandwich and like didn't have a bag of goldfish or Lunchables. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman, and I have been thinking a lot this past year about how to sell cheese without being able to taste it. We had a lot of in-person, uh, in-store sampling was suspended, and then we were buying a lot of cheese online through e-commerce. So we're relying on written descriptions and images to sell flavor and texture and aroma. My guest today is Hannah Howard. She's a New York City-based writer who's written extensively about one of her passions, cheese. And uh, she's also been a copywriter for Fairway and Dean and DeLuca in New York City. She's the author of two books, Feast, True Love in and Out of the Kitchen, and Plenty, a memoir of food and family, which is coming out later this year. Recently, Hannah wrote a piece for Catapult, the online magazine, on taste as part of a five-part series on writing the senses. Welcome to Cutting the Curd, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. So if you could just start by giving us a little bit of your professional background and this intertwining of words and food, where did that come from? Absolutely. I think if you would have told me that I got to write about food when I was a kid, I would have thought it was too good to be true because 
those two things have always been my loves. Um, I've always loved cooking. My mom is a great cook and where the ki the kitchen was always where the action was and going shopping with her. We do these little tours once in a while on a Saturday to the farmer's market and the um, Middle Eastern little grocery store and the Italian little grocery store. And that was just like, I was the kid in the candy shop the whole time. And I've also always loved books and reading and writing. And um, when I went to college, I wanted to get a job and I looked on Craigslist and ended up um, with a job as somehow as a hostess at the um, no longer in existence, but once wonderful Picholine, which was like a very old school French restaurant on the Upper West Side. And they had this incredible cheese cart. Max McKelman worked there and I was just fascinated and enthralled with the cheeses, with his knowledge and passion. And I wanted to learn as much as I could. I asked if I could maybe like graduate from hosting to something with cheese and I got a very nice no, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I did get an internship at also, I think, I'm not sure if it's around anymore, but I got an internship at the Artisanal Cheese Center and I got to work in the cheese caves and I also helped to organize all their cheese classes, which meant as a job perk, I got to take all the cheese classes. So that was a great education for me. And I just, I, I worked in restaurants after college. I started a cheese program at the restaurant I managed in Philadelphia. And I kind of realized along the way that while my love for cheese and food was going really strong, my strengths maybe were not in the day-to-day -day management of a restaurant. I just found the hours brutal. I kind of wasn't feeling so creatively fulfilled and I had been doing some freelance writing on the side here and there. One of my projects was interviewing entrepreneur, food entrepreneurs. Um, it was ghost writing them for like a bigger, <laughs> a bigger food writer. And I got to interview all these amazing food business people. And one of my interviewees was Stephen Jenkins, who was the cheese and olive oil guy at Fairway Market. And he has this big personality. Um, he was so fun to interview. And in sort of a fit of like, what else can I do that's not managing a restaurant? I thought to ask him, I knew they were growing at Fairway. They were opening new stores. And I asked him if they were hiring. And he said yes. And I ended up getting a job behind the cheese counter with sort of an eye that I would be doing something else, but they weren't quite sure what. And the powers that be realized that I was also a writer and I ended up, that was my first copywriting job. And so I wrote the, the signs behind the counter describing the cheeses. I wrote for the website. I wrote their email newsletters. And it was just such a great natural fit for me because I've always loved talking and thinking and writing about food. And I didn't really know you could get paid to do it in that sort of way. So since then, that was like 
almost 10 years ago now, I've been lucky enough to have jobs copywriting for some amazing food institutions in New York City, Dean DeLuca, Murray's Cheese, um, Fairway. And then I, I'm a freelancer, so I also write articles and essays in journalism about food. I, like you mentioned, I, I write books, of memoirs about food, and I really, feel really lucky that I get to, to do all these things. So first of all, thank you for the memories and the, you know, the reminders of what an amazing cheese city New York City has been, like the history of, um, of these markets and the growth of the artisanal cheese um, uh, marketplace in this city. You know, it's just so great to hear these names of these places that some of which are, are not around anymore. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, thank you for explaining, you know, what a copywriting job is in cheese. I, I can only imagine, um, it was probably a combination of a lot of fun and maybe some writer's block. Like what, how did you, how did you approach writing? I mean, did you have like a word limit? I mean, it was on, (laughs) you didn't have a lot of space to write a cheese description, um, for a, a retail counter, um, and then there were so many cheeses at Fairway. So how, how do you approach that, that kind of a task? Absolutely. And I think the other challenge I had, well, it was a challenge and a blessing, was this legacy of, so, so Steve Jenkins was the kind of author of their original cheese signs. And he was famous for his like weird, witty, sometimes like a little bit dirty mm-hmm. humor um, these signs were like so fun to read. So I feel like there was a really, really high bar. Um, so I wasn't necessarily, it, the, the, the challenges were huge, right? There was like, how do you even start when there's, I think there was like 800, some more than 800 SKUs. Like there, there's just so much. Where do you start? How do you, you know, cheese is like, it's complex. It's, multi-layered it's this living breathing thing like how can you do it justice in like you said it just there's not so many words so you have maybe like a sentence or two to try to evoke the essence of a cheese that's tough um so I really I really just kind of did my best I thought you know what if I was telling like a friend if I was telling a friend how great this cheese was in 30 seconds, what would I say? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I mentioned in this catapult column that this is something like, it's something that I love. So I feel it does come naturally to me, but I, I remember the, for my first project was they just wanted to do a revamp of all of the, the bloomy rinded cheese signs. So I don't know how many there were, but there were maybe, I will say 50. And, you know, they they seem different at first, but when you get to number 10 and number 20 and number 30, I definitely felt like I was running out of words and they all started to sound the same and they all started to blur together. Um, So that was, it was hard. It's really hard. And like, right, how many times can you say 
creamy, gooey, silky, you know, you kind of start to run out. In your, in that catapult article, you also describe two ways to convey flavor. One is to use adjectives and the other is to compare one thing to another. You call it the flavor simile. Uh, but you also talk about how, uh, the palate is personal. So, you know, when using a flavor simile, that challenge of um, knowing that, you know, as a, to to compare one thing to another extends not just to taste, but to life experience as well. And I just thought that was really interesting when trying to talk about cheese and we start talking about it being like something. Mm-hmm. If If you're trying to convey flavor and that person doesn't have the experience of whatever it is you're comparing it to that can get a little tricky that that you know like I love that idea about the palette being personal but I also can see why that can be a challenge when trying to write a description that's going to be read by all different types of people from all walks of life and all different levels of you know experience eating cheese definitely I just um, was working on a story for wine enthusiasts kind of about a similar challenge with wine. And I don't know if I think people who are like nerdy about wine know those flavor wheels. I I imagine we could we do or could have one for cheese, too. Right. Where Mm -hmm. it says like, you know, just all of these these flavors, a lot of which are references to things. And one of the wine professionals I talked to was just saying how she grew up in Chicago and there's so many references to like forest floor and just things that she doesn't don't really mean anything to her um so right I think it is really a challenge and I I just think that you're never going to be able to say something that speaks to everybody you're just you're just not you're gonna lose someone so mm-hmm. we have to do our best. And maybe that's also when there's, a, there's like a mix. So we, right, so we have those adjectives we can use. And even though they are very limited, they can do something, right? Um, you know, with cheese, just like, is it mild or intense? Is it creamy or crumbly? Or, you know, just kind of the descriptors. And then with those flavor similes and the comparisons and I I mean I think we we like try our best but then I think there's also like the stories of of cheesemakers of their how how the cheese is made why it's made the the history the place all of those things I think even though they're not strictly about the flavor still help tell a cheese's story so are there particular cheeses that you find harder to describe than others use, you know, with the written word? Not really. I think it is a unique challenge to copywriting where you might have to talk about dozens of cheeses that are not incredibly ultimately different. But I think the the good thing about when I'm writing a book or an essay I mean, I, there, I often involve cheese, but I can just choose, you know, a cheese or two cheeses or three cheeses and tell their story. It doesn't have to be 
Um, I don't have to try to sell every cheese in that, you know, in that section of the cheese case. So it's, it gives me a lot more creative breathing room. The, the cheese signs, you were talking about Fairway and about Steve Jenkins and the reputation that Fairway had for his, his flair, his, you know, particular style and approach to describing cheeses. That's also something I see that a lot with um, the wine shops in my area. You know, you definitely see the personality of the staff kind of come through um, on the signs. Um, sometimes they don't really even tell you anything about how the cheese tastes. It's just more attitude. <laughs> so it's almost like you're selling the cheese's attitude. Um, and uh, like this cheese is, you know, a ball buster that's gonna, you know, knock you sideways. And I mean, that doesn't say anything really about <laughs> what it tastes like, but, um, but, uh, and then, you know, even like, you know, you, with books like Barnes and Noble, you go in and there are signs like they have like the staff picks and they tell you about like why, why they chose this one. And, you know, there's something kind of, you know, this, this interaction, um, without, without, you know, talking to the staff, um, when you're looking at things. So you're kind of like, you know, that idea of eating with your eyes first, you know, I mean, in a way, this is that experience as well. Um, cause we're reading about the cheese. Um, but this also extends to olive oils and vinegars. I mean, you can go into some stores and just read, you know, there's just so much to read. Um, do you find, cause I know you've written about olive oil among other, um, items. Do you find a difference in the approach to whether it's cheese or olive oil or vinegars or what have you? Is it different? I think you're really on to something about like those staff picks or the, the, um, very, um, witty or personal wine tasting notes being, I and mean, being, as cl I feel like it's as close as we can get to having that conversation with the knowledgeable in invest, like personally invested because they love this stuff, cheesemonger or, you know, wine salesperson. And that's what Steve Jenkins said. Like, you know, when he, he put the signs up because the store got busy and he couldn't talk to every single person. So this was like the second best thing. So I definitely agree that, that's where the kind of copywriting and the words and the stories come in. Because ideally you could just, if you could have that conversation with that person every time, you'd be golden. But there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't always happen. Yeah, um, especially with uh, e-commerce. I mean, we've all been buying, you know, not all, well, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of people were buying cheese online this year. Exactly. And I think right as, and during the, I mean, I remember, so I, I live in Brooklyn and my local cheese shop that I usually go to is, which I love is Brooklyn Larder. And during the pandemic, I mean, everyone was kind of scrambling and doing their best. And usually you go in and they have a great cheese counter and they have people to talk to, but they shut, like they shut the whole thing. And there was you know, a, a much, much scaled down selection and there was no one to talk to because they were socially distancing. And yeah, I, I think um, a lot of times the reality is that 
these words are the the kind of best human interaction we can get. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I take that serious. So back to your question of like how when you're writing about different things, like I, I kind of take that job seriously because I feel like it is important. I'm like the spokesperson for these cheeses or or olive oils when I'm writing copy. So, but I, I think it really goes across like any kind of food. I want to say something about how it tastes. And you do, I think you do get something about the ball buster, right? Like if I said that about a cheese, I don't know specifically what cheese you're talking about, but I know it's probably not like a delicate chev, right? Or mm-hmm. like, so I know something. And then, yeah, you can say, I mean, not to repeat myself, but you can say something about like where it's from, who it's from, how it's made. Um, and I think that even though, again, it doesn't like necessarily tell you what it tastes like, it tells you about what makes it itself. And then I think it's always nice to to have a little bit of suggestions on like pairings or some way to use it, especially when people are trying new things and it can feel intimidating. I, I want to like hold their hands a little bit or just give an idea. So we're going to take a little break and let our sponsor talk a little bit about cheese. <laughs> um, this is a an example, a living example happening right now. Um, and then we'll be right back to continue talking with Hannah Howard. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. And welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Jessica Kesselman, and I'm here today with my guest, Hannah Howard. She's a writer. She writes a lot about food and about um, writing about food as well. Uh, So I wanted to continue our conversation a little bit about... um, you know, this role of digital and social media in marketing and sales, because, you know, in addition to, 
you know, the, the text we see when we walk into a cheese shop and or the text we see when we're on an e-commerce kind of marketplace, there's the whole social media aspect. I mean, people are, are you know, are really um, using social media to bring attention to cheeses uh, in videos and, and with photos. Um, so there's like a whole a whole other uh, platform now for experiencing taste without actually eating the cheese itself. Um, have you have you gotten into any of those social media avenues yet, or and what do you, what's your experience with that? I think it's just being a person engaged in the world. It's kind of hard to avoid. For me, I mean, personally and professionally, the answer is yes. Um, I think at its best, social media can be like this wonderful way to connect and share and um, meet people that we otherwise never would. And then at its worst, it can kind of miss the point and be, you know, be noise and be distracting and, um, you know, probably a lot worse too. So it's, it can be a little bit of a double edged sword for me, certainly. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, sometimes it's a, some of these platforms are a gateway to, you know, get more of what you were talking about in terms of connecting with the farm and the story and the cheesemaker to be able to like, link from a cheese description in one location to a video of the cows on pasture or the to see the cheesemaker making the actual cheese and like it kind of gives more dimension to um, an access to a cheese beyond what we had not even that many years ago and uh you know so I guess in a way you know it's the marketing and and sales opportunities just has become, um, gosh, it almost feels limitless. Definitely. And I think as someone, like, I'm a writer, so I'm always about telling the story through words, but having those visual and video components are really powerful, and there's so many possibilities for sure. Have you... Um, have you had new opportunities or has the type of work you've gotten changed since uh, the pandemic and like stores having to kind of rethink about their approach to uh, selling? Um, has Have you seen any changes with regards to uh, maybe people taking a step back and revamping the way that they do their sales? Yes. I mean, I've definitely had a shift. I, I've also have done some restaurant reviewing and that sort of thing. And my gigs in that world pretty much all just shut down when the pandemic came. But exactly as you said, I have been working with more retailers and even cheesemakers who are doing really well and, and selling right so much more online and trying to, I think translate that personal experience of, of going into your local shop that you love and having a chat with your cheesemonger and how do you come as close as possible to that on a website. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely think there is the experience. I've had it at least. I where, you know, especially like things, things on Instagram that like keep popping up, like that want to sell you something. And then I fall for it and I buy it and I'm always disappointed. But the marketing was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I wonder, you know, um, when you're working with clients and they think that their cheese tastes one way or like they provide you some information, they feed you a little bit of content for you to like, start developing your um, copyright for them. Um, what do you do when your impression of the cheese doesn't line up with your clients? That can be one of the biggest challenges um, because also many times I do get to get a sample and I get to taste what I'm writing about, but probably more times I don't. So I have to go off of my own knowledge and sometimes there is like a bit of guessing involved and so there's right like if I get it wrong I get it wrong and and my since I'm a freelancer I guess it would be the same if I was an employee like you know I'm working for these people so ultimately I have to take their word and so I just do my best but I do think that in the best world I really would get to taste what I'm writing about because I feel like my work is so much better when I have that direct personal experience. So I know that you also recently created a um, Mother's Day uh, cheese plate. I saw that um, on Everyone Should Follow Hannah Howard on uh, Instagram. And you do have a newsletter as well, right? Um, yes, thank you for the shout out. <laughs> and it's hannahhoward.com, correct? Um, my website is hannahhoward.nyc. .nyc. Okay. And um, so I'm curious, what are some of your favorite cheeses uh, and pairings lately? And how would you describe them? Yeah, so let's see. I hope it's not a, a cop-out to start with these Mother's Day cheeses, but I do feel spring is such a good goat cheese season. And so when I was thinking about this Mother's Day cheese board, I thought about kind of unexpected goat cheeses that felt a little special. So that... that um, I guess it was a real cheese plate and also a theoretical cheese plate had these two, two cheeses that I really love these days. Um, the first is called Cabra al Gofio and it's made in the Canary Islands. And it's actually has a rind that's coated in toasted, toasted corn flour, which is not really like anything I've had before. And it really gives this cheese a unique flavor a little bit of sweetness from that corn and kind of a, a roasted flavor. And it, it's also rather, it's an aged goat cheese, so it's firm, but it's like mild. And I've just gotten to share it with a few people and they were all completely smitten with it. So that's, that's a favorite. And then the other cheese on my cheese board is Nocetta di Capra, which is a like lovely, bloomy, creamy cheese from um, Bergamo in Italy. And, you know, I have a sweet spot for like those creamy, luscious, spreadable cheeses. And 
and it's like that, but you, the flavor of the goat's milk really shines through. It's just really like fresh and bright. And I pair those with rhododendron honey, which is really earthy and it was just a nice complement to those little bit of tanginess that the goat cheeses had. So that was that. The other thing that I've been eating a lot of, I actually, I, I, I've loved Meredith, Meredith Dairy, which is like an Australian company's marinated goat cheese. Um, I, I encountered it first when I worked at Murray's and I, now that I've been spending some time in New Jersey and have become a Costco member. <laughs> I got a big, a big jar of it from Costco. And I've been loving just making salads with that cheese and adding a little bit of the oil and the peppercorns that it's marinating in. It just, it's really luscious and delicious. I love that stuff too. It, yeah. it is. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's, it's like, it's like little like creamy clouds of, of, cheese and I it's just yeah and the fact that it's now at Costco in that bigger jar yeah (laughs) yeah I had no idea I thought I had like won the lottery when I found it (laughs) (laughs) um I uh and I did want to ask you you know we got to talk about the about those stinky cheeses and those blue cheeses that people tend to just write you know people who who may not have a lot of you know, may not have tried those cheeses before, may write them off before they even, you know, they won't even give them a chance because of the smell or they, you know, the mold. Um, so what are, what are some ways to describe a blue cheese that you, you know, would make it enticing? Like what are ways that you would describe it to somebody yeah, who may, you is, know? I feel like this is one of the cheese sort of conundrums. It's like, do you a kind of dance around it? <laughs> or be just <laughs> go for it. Like right. I've had diff- yeah, like different clients that either shy away from or embrace the word stinky. I kind of feel like if there's a stinky cheese, you should just own it. I- I'm a big stinky cheese lover myself. Um, but and they're but I understand they're not for everyone, but I don't think you want to trick someone into buying a stinky cheese who doesn't want a stinky cheese, then they'll be really disappointed, right? Right, so right. I feel like there's kind of like, maybe maybe you could really um, play up those kind of like the the middle ground, like, like a Telegio that's like washed rind, but not necessarily a real stinker or, you know, like a very creamy, mild blue cheese. And, and that would be my long game approach and kind of get people to open their mind a little bit by easing mm-hmm. their way in. Right. Because for a while, there was almost like a badge of honor um, of about, you know, eating a cheese that, you know, smelled like stinky feet. You know, like I remember that um, description. I haven't heard that one in a while. It seems like as cheese has entered more of the mainstream and the availability of some of these cheeses like Stinking Bishop or Epoise or, you know, they've kind of fallen into the mainstream. You can get more of these cheeses in more places. Um, those kind of shocking descriptors seem to have fallen away. And maybe, and maybe that's only true in you know in bigger cheese markets like New York City, I don't know in other parts of the country, but I have seen 
a little bit of a shift away from some of those to, um, you know, because they're, they're, maybe people are just more familiar with it and it's not so shocking. It's not keeping people away from trying some of these cheeses. Who knows? Do yeah. words go, do words go in and out of fashion? You think? I definitely think so. Like words, phrases. Um, yeah. I feel like I've heard like old locker room or right. Like dirty socks or mm-hmm. sweat to be really disgusting, like sweaty balls or something like that. Sorry, that's gross. But I've heard, <laughs> I've heard people say that, you know? Um, yeah, I think I've been talking. I think we also talked about these sort of like, I don't see as much that maybe it's moved on to like wine or other things, but those sort of like, I remember this whole long Steve Jenkins sign about like Sophie Lawrence, Sophie Loren. I can't even remember like what cheese it was about, but it was very um, like loosely tied to the cheese and very right. rambling. And I right. feel like I don't see that as much. I think I see kind of more direct, straightforward, like this is what you can expect as opposed to the more esoteric, um, you know, abstract poems, Mm -hmm. poetic meditations on the cheese. Right, right. And I do, I do see that a lot in wine shops, for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I also think maybe that goes back to that idea of um, the two ways to convey flavor, one using adjectives, the other that flavor simile, maybe there's less flavor similes going on. And we're really just comfortable with understanding these adjectives because we have more of a experience with cheese. Um, you know, maybe because more people, there's more, there's a bigger reference point, right? There's so many cheeses now and so many cheeses have left the behind the glass and moved to the region um, where supermarkets, you can grab the, the Beecher's, you know, uh, cheddar snacking sticks. I mean, you know, like, and, and it's not necessarily only about what's behind the glass anymore. So we're yeah. relying on our experience with flavors and we know what those adjectives mean. Um, right. Maybe it's kind of like, we're not trying quite as hard to woo the customers. We, we trust them a little bit more to, Right. To to try something new or we trust that they have a little bit of that baseline knowledge or at least open mindedness and curiosity. Yeah. And still and still we have to catch the attention of the customer, which still boggles my mind how to do that when there's so many cheeses. (laughs) There's so many cheeses to choose from. It's so hard. And of course, people get like also stuck on their understandably like they they keep reaching for their favorites. So it can be hard to get people to try something new. So do you have any um, upcoming projects uh, that you want to share with our listeners or any any place you want to refer them to to read more of your writing? Yeah, I mean, my next big thing that I'm excited about, you mentioned it earlier, but I have a new book coming out called Plenty, A Memoir of Food and Family. It will be available September 1st. And there is some cheese in that book. Um, the It's the story of kind of me finding my community of amazing women in the food, like in the trenches of the food world. So there's like a, a chef and a barista and a sommelier. And 
I also spend some time um, with Allison Hooper, who's the founder of Vermont Creamery in Vermont. And um, yeah, I hope if you are interested that you check it out. That sounds wonderful. And hopefully we'll have you back to talk with my fellow host, Diane Stemple, who, um, as we know, does a lot of um, book uh, interviews with uh, authors and talks about books about cheese and food. So I look forward to hearing that interview because I'm sure it'll happen. And if it doesn't, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) But but I really want to thank you for, for joining us today and and talking about uh, words and writing and cheese. And, um, and you know, thanks again. And I hope thank to you so talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. My pleasure. All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Cutting the Curd. And I'll see you back here soon. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.